really like Adobe Voice on iPad. I think you can develop micro lectures and really simple but effective graphics quite quickly and painlessly. The downside, of course, is you have to have an Apple iPad. Of course. And uh, touching on the um, iPad, I just want to say that there's probably an app for that. So any idea that you probably come across, there's probably an app for that. We were not paid by Apple for this endorsement. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. In this episode, we will be discussing the tools you can use to flip the classroom. The definition of the flipped classroom dates back to 1999 when a faculty member decided to videotape their lectures for students to watch on their own. Now that they were no longer lecturing during the class time, the course instructor used this time to have students solve problems that were traditionally assigned for homework. A more recent version of this definition expands it by applying more focus on utilizing active learning techniques, first in the face-to-face classroom and then in the online classroom. In the last episode, we talked about active learning and touched on technology briefly. Today, we will discuss the role of technology when we flip the classroom. Many people feel the increase in the usage of this model is partly due to the availability of online learning technologies. The most prevalent use of technology in the flipped classroom is for the creation and delivery of online presentations. However, other roles include the ability for technology to bridge the online and classroom experiences, conduct formative and summative assessments, and enhance the classroom active learning experience. I am Stephen Crawford, the Associate Director for Academic Innovation at Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Today, I have with me some colleagues from Academic Innovation. Jeanette Senecal. And Celia Katraitiwa. So I started this podcast with the example from the first reference in the literature where lectures were recorded on VHS tape. We've come a long way since then. So I'm curious as to what are some of the tools that you have seen used for moving the lecture portion out of the classroom? I'll go ahead and uh, start out that answer. So I've seen software like Adobe Presenter being used, which kind of feeds off of PowerPoint. Um, I also have seen full video production with an actual um, video producer and editing. Um, But I've also seen more and more mobile apps that have come out that make it a lot easier for someone to record their lectures using their devices and then being able to upload them um, to places like Vimeo, YouTube, Captura. Those are great examples. And I'm going to start with a rant and ask the question, do we need a lecture at all? Because as a starting point, I think there's a lot of room to explore what role does a true lecture take anymore, depending on your topic, depending on your students. But sometimes it's going back to the drawing board and seeing what exists, what supplementary learning materials can enhance perhaps even materials you're you're already utilizing, such as the textbook. Sometimes there may be uh, publisher resources but also open educational resources of high quality to to leverage. And on top of that, there are so many content-focused videos out there. Um, the range is just limitless. You know, I, I think the lecture has taken a beating the last couple of years. Um, why do we lecture and everything else? And, and, you know, the thing is, we know that lecturing is a good way to deliver content efficiently. And so with that in mind... I guess really we're talking about content delivery more than anything else. And 
So, you know, when you think about it from that point of view, we've been flipping the classroom for as long as there's been books and we've been assigning readings outside of class. So how does that make things different? It's a great point. Um, I also think that there's quite a bit more flexibility in adapting things like virtual simulations and, and opportunities for students to work online simultaneously through what we would traditionally consider content, as well as applying that content to realistic scenarios, perhaps, or doing something with the information, not just passively consuming it. So let's think about it. Well, let's think about content delivery. I mean, in, in multiple stages. And, and let's also consider some of the factors that go into that, uh, cost being one of them. I, I think one of the reasons why we lecture more than anything else is because it's easier, you know? I also feel like um, there is a place for lecture within every um, course, being that there are a variety of learning styles. And so having that lecture piece kind of lends itself to those styles of learning that need that audio and that um, those clarification pieces that a textbook might not necessarily do, or it adds in pieces that maybe even a video doesn't necessarily do. So I feel like there there is a place for lecture, um, whether it needs to be the long drawn out lecture. Now that's a different thing where when you are doing a flipped classroom, I know within our group, we like to push the micro lecture. So they're not getting too much information at one time, given that you can only focus and give attention for so long. And maybe that's it. Because I think even in our simulations, if you don't have a base knowledge of basic facts and knowledge, and you don't have a comprehension of that, you really can't learn by doing but so much unless you have those mini lectures being presented to you in those five to 10 minute nuggets that are bounded on a single topic. So context is key. I would go there in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, and you know, and you were talking about some of the tools out there and you know, and and you you hit a wide variety there, Celia, from Adobe Presenter. Um, talk about Adobe Presenter first and then we'll talk about some of the other tools out there a little bit at a time. So with Adobe Presenter, faculty are of course more familiar with um, doing PowerPoint. So it usually starts out there with creating a PowerPoint slide deck. It can be interactive. They do have tools that allow you to create uh, question answer responses, but it can also just be used as an audio presentation with um, slides and audio voiceovers. You can um, have the interactivity. You can have it in an HTML file. So what you're saying is, is that because when you record audio directly into PowerPoint, it can be a pretty large file to put up modeling and hard to download. Um, and one of the things I like about Presenter, and I think a lot of people don't realize this is part of it, is they've walked away from Adobe Flash and you can now create presentations that work on mobile devices. So now you're talking about learning anywhere. And, and I like the fact that as someone who records, if I come back and I need to change a slide a semester or two later, as long as I have the original files, I can update just that one slide without having to re-record the entire presentation again. Yes, that's very true. That's a great point. And that's a good contrast to software packages that are more focused on screen capture and recording, which are often one take type of video recording scenarios, where if you started some kind of simulation of 
doing a library search, for example, through a browser and actively recording that, if you misspoke or typed in the wrong term, you might have to go back to the beginning and start from scratch. So the permanence and the quality may be higher with a tool like Adobe Presenter. Yeah, or if you're using a tool like TechSmith Camtasia, you're talking about a lot of editing to fix things, which is more than most of us want to do. It's easier just to re-record, as you mentioned. Yes, and that's where I think um, the mobile app development um, has been very helpful for instructors who are not necessarily used to those full production type of um, software like Presenter or even um, Camtasia or any other video editing software. So the mobile apps make it a lot easier for them to do it on their own and not necessarily need another person who's going to help them edit or teach them how to completely use the software. You know, and another threshold to consider is, keep again, on the keep it simple is podcasts. I mean, really, all you need is a microphone and your phone has that built into it, your computer has it built into it, or maybe you have a nice headset or one for your computer so the audio sounds a little better, and just record some basic audio on your thoughts. Um, but I think the key thing to, to remember is keep whatever you're doing focused to one topic. I think that's the problem a lot of us get into. We're so used to the hour-long course or that 50-minute you know course session. So the idea is I have a 50-minute lecture prepared, so that's what the students will sit through. And we know... That's, you know, we've seen a lot of evidence that the students aren't interested in sitting in that long and they can't remember everything you're throwing at them. So give it to them in nuggets, right? Yeah. So, you know, as I think about this more and more, you know, we have so many technologies available and we can go full scale and use a full video production team and do some really high level stuff. Um, but the bottom line is we don't have to. There's a lot of simple things we almost all have webcams now built into our computers. As you mentioned, we have them on our, on our phones. Um, so I guess as we think about that, how we use technology now to, you know, think about it moving away from the lecture a little bit, how we use technology to bridge that gap from what happens pre-class online to face-to-face -face in class. How do we bridge that gap? Because we made a joke about students having the textbook, and that was, you know, if you think about the old flipped model, without technology, a textbook would exist, but we also know students rarely read the textbook, or so we so we think. How do we help ensure they're going to watch our videos? So one of the things that I like to see happen um, when bridging that gap between the um, pre-class and in-class activities is the ability for clarification to be made. Um, when you're listening to the lecture and you're not actually in the classroom, you don't have a faculty there who can quickly answer your questions, giving them the opportunity to voice their questions somewhere like a discussion board um, would allow the instructor to then carry that conversation into the classroom as an in-class activity. Um, things like uh, muddiest point where they're able to ask a question, a clarification question. Um, other things like quick formative assessments that might assess what they, what they should have learned within the lecture or pre-class activity would also bridge that gap to keep the connection and make sure that whatever they're doing in the pre-class is directly connected to what they're doing with the in-class time. That's a great example. And I think um, if you step back from the, the technology a little bit and the, the strategies, 
part of it really comes down to setting norms and expectations for students too, and really uh, emphasizing the importance of coming to class prepared. Sometimes that means we have to like really be the parents and shepherd them along a little bit, but to, to some extent in order to maximize the ability for them to do that application active learning in the classroom, it needs to be built in as an inherently important part of the coursework. And that can be reflected in your grade scheme perhaps, or the actual ability for them to complete work in the classroom if they are required to, for example, complete part of a sample problem before walking in the door, if they don't have that work done, they can't proceed. It can be uncomfortable, but it may be necessary to let them struggle and fail and get past that point to move forward with their active learning. Almost like a ticket into the classroom. Correct. You know, that's a really interesting concept. And, you know, you think about, you mentioned the norms part. You know, I think about, again, going back to that old model of the textbook, the students don't read the textbook. So what do we tend to do to make up for it in the classroom? We lecture. We lecture what's in the book. We program our students that it's not important. I'll cover that in class for you since you didn't do it on your own as expected. So if we don't do that, do you think that'll change the norms? Maybe. You know, I, I do like the idea of using the LMS more and more as uh, for your formative assessments. And that way you, you kind of get an idea, are the students at least reading the materials or viewing the materials, et cetera, and having that ticket in. Because as you think about that, you know, you bring, if you bring that, that pre-class online experience into the classroom, now that we're fully in the classroom, and that's kind of where my framework of the flipped classroom and why I, I feel it's so powerful is that now you can do something with that knowledge. So what are some of the technologies that you can use in the classroom that can help facilitate active learning? I think there are a number of approaches, and they range, you know, from the simplest end of the spectrum to the most complex. A couple that we touched on briefly in our active learning episode um, included clickers or student response systems, where there's an opportunity for them to provide rapid response on uh, quiz-style questions or polling, perhaps their belief models, probe their understandings of key concepts on into more collaborative tools such as smart boards or electronic whiteboards where they can even do digital prototyping, they can accomplish shared um, concept mapping. There are really a lot of different ways that can be integrated, but again, thinking of it as a whole puzzle, they need to bring in those pieces from the work that they did prior to coming to class. It can't be an isolated event. I like those examples. Um, I would also add on things like um mind mapping, where they might be putting together some of that knowledge that they gained from the lectures. Um, I also am a fan of a tool called Linoit, which is more of an online uh, notepad type of uh, tool. There's so many tools out there that are online and easy to use. But a question I want to ask is, at what point is it too much technology when we're using the flipped classroom? That's an excellent question that is difficult to answer. And back to keeping it simple, keeping it manageable, chunking things into reasonable pieces, we can apply some of those decision points right to the technology. And really, at the end of the day, sometimes the right answer is to bring note cards and write stuff down with a pencil. If you're using technology because it's cool, if you're using technology because this will get their attention you might not be using technology correctly, in my opinion. And, and, and you know, 
keeping it simple is, I think, very important. I think it needs to be important. It needs to be central to the question you're trying to solve. It needs to be aligned with what you're trying to do. Um, you know, I was thinking about the these new style of classrooms that are coming up. These active learning classrooms, as people like to call them. Um, frankly, I think any room with four walls is enough technology to create an active learning classroom. Um, and if you think about the basic, basic technology or tools in a room, you start with the desks. If you can move them around into groups to do small groups, that can be enough sometimes. If these small groups need to think hard and they need space to work, having movable whiteboards in the room, I think, is a very important idea. If you want your students to share ideas that they've collected on their laptops, being able to have small displays that your students can then show what's on their computer screen for the small group to see, I think is a very important thing to do. I think if you're, I just think that if you are using technology in a way to, to empower students and doing it in a way where it's not in the way, it's not being done because you can, but because you should, I think then you're using technology correctly. And that could be from using very little to using a lot. Um, I also find that tools like Google Docs and um, even Microsoft's OneDrive, um, having bundles like that, I find are very helpful in that an instructor doesn't need to go out and find all these different pieces of software or tools, online tools, when you have things like those who have a little bit of each one. And they might not go as deep into um, what they offer, but if you're looking to just touch on using the technology and be able to share documents easily, those are two of my favorites. Great examples. You know, th that's a good example of a technology that you could use to start something in the classroom. Again, using that model of, let's say you're doing a lot of small group work in the classroom and they have that shared Google Doc that they all can see on the screen together while one person's typing or maybe they're all typing because it's a shared document. All because your class period's over doesn't mean the activity's done. You can move it online and keep it going beyond the class period and you and remove them from the physical room. And so now you're talking about post-class activity. So what other technologies could you potentially use to kind of keep that spirit of active learning going from the classroom into a post-class online environment? I love that question because it removes some of the phase thinking across the learning that it really is a, a continuum. And I think this is one place where a lot of the tools that are embedded in the learning management system can be easily adapted. Students could continue their thinking and their explorations through discussion boards, sharing one-minute summaries with their peers, probing unanswered questions, and answering each other's questions. You can implement some sort of digital ticket out as a formative assessment, and then pick back up on those themes in the following class session, for example. I would also like to add to that because I like um, your idea of incorporating the LMS. And um, I would also add in things like blogging, where you could kind of track those reflective pieces um, and kind of track the learning as it happens. Um, they usually do have things like journaling or wikis or even portfolios that could do the same thing. But yes, I would agree that if you want something um, just simple, simple, 
or quick assessments, the discussion board is always an easy, easy one to grasp. So we talked a lot about technologies. We've talked a lot about our, some of our favorite tools and some of the things that we like to use. Now, now let's imagine this entire situation because we've kind of touched on it. How would we do this without technology, without the tech itself? I mean, we, I, I, I open things up by talking about how, you know, technology seems to have accelerated the, uh, the implementation of the flipped classroom. But we also know that it can be a barrier to some institutions and some students, not because of their unfamiliarity with the technology, but just because of the fact they don't have access to it uh, for either socioeconomic reasons or just support reasons. So what are some ideas that we could make up some of this without having to actually go spend on tech? Well, I think Jeanette touched on it earlier um, in talking about just having notepads um, or or written notes that they they do. Um, I also find that maybe some quick writes. If you're in a larger lecture hall, you can split up some of those seating arrangements and have students adding on from one person to the other and then collecting those in the end. Um, you could also greet them at the door with a ticket in um, that is ready for them to go that they need to turn in by the end of class. So there's quite a bit that you can easily do in class that takes away some of that technology. I think you could probably embed quite a bit in your syllabus in terms of some pre-formatted uh, discussion prompts, perhaps case studies, role play guidelines. You could front load quite a bit of that preparation work and the expectations in the syllabus or the calendar so that students come to class knowing each time what they're accountable for and they have the relevant learning materials to use to prepare for them. But the classic definition of the flipped classroom talks about preloading the lecture online. So how how can we get around that problem maybe? Or can we? Goes back to the question of whether lectures are necessary or not. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I guess you're saying if you're going to use textbooks and you're going to use articles and then you're going to lecture on the exact same material, which one's more important? Context is everything. Yes, I've seen it both ways where some faculty put more emphasis on their textbook and everything is their text or their um, articles or extra resources and others put everything within their lecture and use those as a supplement. You know, one of the things I often tell folks when they're preparing their lectures is if you ask your students to read something, then the last thing you should do in your lecture is not reference it. And the next thing you should not do is repeat it verbatim. And so I, th I like the idea, and I'm going to use your, still your word there, Jeanette, of context. I like the idea of taking a reading and in the lecture, add context to what was read. You know, you read this, here's what it means here. And that way you can kind of add a context and make it more personalized to, to the lived experience that maybe you have had as an instructor and that the student might have down the road as they continue to explore the topic. It's a great opportunity to provide real-world examples and to close the loop on something that may have been theoretical for them in the reading and show them how it really applies in their world. So before we wrap up, are there um, any tools that you want to plug that we haven't talked about yet? I really like Adobe Voice on iPad. I think you can develop micro lectures and really simple but effective graphics quite quickly and painlessly. The downside, of course, is you have to have an Apple iPad. Of course. And uh, touching on the um, iPad, I just want to say that 
there's probably an app for that. So <laughs> any idea that you probably come across, there's probably an app for that. We were not paid by Apple for this endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, and that's funny because a lot of the things that we tend to do are iPad related. And, and I think it's important to note the mobility of not just our students, but faculty as well. We need to be able to create these things on the fly. I'm going to re-highlight what you mentioned, Celia, about the camera on our phones. I mean, we're talking about a a movie camera grade. I mean, you can create some cinematic masterpieces with with an iPhone camera or an Android camera. And just being able to leverage where you are, uh, depending on your topic, could be a really interesting thing to do. I like the ability to do that. Um, but also, don't want to forget those wonderful shared sites like Google Docs like uh, Microsoft's OneDrive, the ability to share and collaborate and, and, and have folks work together on projects. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. I want to thank Jeanette and Celia for discussing with us the tools you can use for flipping the classroom. I would like to point out that if you would like to learn more about flipping the classroom, please see the book listed in the show notes, The Flipped College Classroom, conceptualized and reconceptualized, Jeanette and I contributed the chapter on tools of the trade. I also want to thank Ricardo Leon for making sure that we have clear audio through the magic of his editing and producing of this podcast. Finally, I want to thank you for listening and let us know what tools you have used for flipping the classroom and how this has worked for you. You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD, as an in instruction by design, underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation.